a war is currently being waged, from Thailand all the way to the hippie section of your local supermarket. And then we take a look at a conspiracy theory that some people may say is crazy, while others say it's cute. Is it possible that humans, or actually all animals, were created in the minds of plants? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Let's go ahead and get started here. First off, I want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Ryan O'Hara. Ryan O'Hara, thank you so much for supporting the show. Really, really means a lot. You're going to be our pilot, our captain, whatever vehicle we decide to take this episode, you're going to be in charge of. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. So Ryan O'Hara, let's go ahead and hop in the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought, our massive battleship, because this story is a war story. Go, 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 go! We're all running up on the Dreadnought. Ryan O'Hara's got his little captain hat on. He brings it with him. He has it. Maybe he's a real captain in real life. I don't know. This is a war story. So as the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought's getting closer to Thailand, I give you guys an inspirational speech that I'm not going to give now because this is only a 35-minute podcast. But I give it everyone's in tears and clapping at the same time. They're actually catching their tears in their claps. It's amazing. And we get to the shores of Thailand. Go, go, go. We rush the beach. And what we see is that there is currently a battle going on between PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, and coconut farmers. So not so much a battle, not so much a pitched armed conflict, just kind of a disagreement between two groups of people. What is going on? This is pretty interesting because I didn't even know this was a thing. Usually when animals are involved in the production of something, usually they're the product. You eat pigs, right? Pigs aren't working at a textile factory and stuff like that, which would be, ooh, Babe 3, there we go. Make that movie, make that movie, that's the plot. The whole movie's just with Babe the pig showing up at work, making a couple carpets, and then going home and being like, uh, there you go, short film. Or a long one if you really good at writing snappy dialogue. That's how it normally is. The animals are the product. But what goes on in Thailand is you have these super, super high coconut trees. They get up to about 100 feet tall. Now, a human can get 80 coconuts a day. But a monkey, a little monkey man, can get... This is nuts. I thought we were the dominant species. And we are. They can't come... Monkeys can't come up with great screenplays like Babe 3, Pigs in a Blanket. Oh, dude, yes! Write that script, somebody. Anyway, he makes blankets now at the textile factory, not rugs. Anyways, minor script note. We're the evolutionary king, but when it comes to coconut knocking down that one thing, just that one thing, a human can get 80 coconuts a day. A male monkey can get 1,600 coconuts a day. What? A female monkey can get like 800. So it's still like totally outpaces a dude, like a human dude. But a male monkey, I don't know what the difference would be between a male monkey and a female. I know what the difference is between a male monkey and a female monkey. I don't know why they're able to work faster. I don't know. The coconut ceiling is there even in the animal kingdom. It's a fur-coated ceiling. So anyways, what happens is in Thailand, they go, well, we could have this dude climb up this super tall tree and it's really, really dangerous. And he can only get 80 coconuts a day. Or we can train monkeys to climb up these super tall trees. They're kind of dangerous. They they whisper that to the monkeys. They don't have to. They don't understand English. But you can train a monkey. Well, they're not even speaking English over there. But anyways, the point is, is that 
You can train a monkey to knock down 1,600 coconuts a day. So the coconut farms are using the monkeys, and PETA has said, stop drinking coconut water. They released some footage, right? So PETA went there undercover. They <laughs> went undercover as a coconut. They're like, man, that's a really big coconut. It's going to take like five male monkeys to move around. It's a, it's a postgraduate student hiding in a giant coconut with a camera. They have this footage of monkeys in cages. And people, they go, the monkeys are being abused. And when you put a monkey in a cage long enough, it goes insane. Now, a normal monkey, which I don't know if that's true. I mean, I think, one, I think anything in a cage has a higher likelihood to go insane. Two, how do you gauge, how do you gauge the insanity of a monkey? Like, you could probably go, oh, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. He has Joker makeup on. He's wearing a purple uh, tux, right? That's the only signs of insanity. Psychiatrists are like, you're fine. You man covered in blood, you don't have a purple tux on. I mean, you could tell a depressed monkey, because he's not doing anything, but could you really tell an insane monkey, unless you let him out of the cage and he attacked you? I'm sure someone can answer that question, but <laughs> I didn't do any research on that. They also said that uh, monkeys in the wild live longer, so we got to free the monkeys, and the way we'll free the monkeys is to stop supporting the coconut industry, no more coconut water. So NPR sent a journalist out, for this, they have a section of their website called The Salt. It's their cooking section about food. And they actually visited the monkey training school in Surat Thani, Thailand. And it's a Buddhist-inspired school. They chose a school that's using Buddhist training methods. So that, that may not be the, the standard way monkeys are trained over there. They talked to this guy who runs a school in Thailand. We, like, teach them to pick coconuts, but we never threaten them. We never, ever threaten them, and we definitely never use violence. Here's this quote from this teacher. Quote, It is always relaxed. No shouting, no punishing. Every few trees, the monkey hugs his owner, who then checks the monkey for red ants. And the monkey gets a massage. What? If that's true, I want to be a monkey. I've never worked a job. First off, I've never gotten a hug from any of my bosses. There's several laws. There's several U.S. state and federal laws to prevent that. I've never gotten a massage. The reason why they hug them, they, they hug the, well, they hug the monkeys because they love them, but then they also check them for red ants. But still, who wouldn't want a hug from their boss? Who wouldn't want their boss to hug them and then check them for red ants? So you have the coconut farmers saying, listen, dude, we're hugging these monkeys. We're hugging them every couple of trees. We're hugging them so much, you might say, they're, they're going crazy. I gotta say, guys, I'm torn on this one. Do I believe the animal rights people who believe that these monkeys are being exploited to do an incredibly dangerous job? Or do I believe that these monkeys are actually treated better than most workers on planet Earth? You decide. That's a new thing. I have because I have no other way to end this. You decide. You figure it out. I've given you half the facts and told jokes every three minutes. It's up to you now. That's a new segment. It's called You Choose. Because I have no other way to end that segment. That's the whole name of it. I copyright that title. Let's go ahead and leave behind Thailand. So Ryan O'Hara, let's call in that carpenter copter. We're going to land here. We're hugging monkeys. And the monkeys are hugging us back. It's great. A couple of monkeys were insane. Some of you guys aren't going to be able to make the journey. I apologize for that. But join us next episode. Hopefully the insanity is not contagious. We're waving goodbye to the non-insane monkeys. We are flying out. So let's go ahead. I haven't done one of these in a long time. Let's do a dead rabbit recommends. Now, this is an oddball one. 
not an oddball because it's not good or because it's a controversial choice. A lot of you guys will be like, what? I saw that when I was seven, bro. I saw that a long, long time ago. Well, I got news for you. Guys, I can't say the title without singing it. Little Shop. Little Shop of Horrors. Okay, okay. It would probably be be easier to recommend if I could pronounce it correctly. Little Shop of Horrors. It still sounds like I'm butchering it. It was a 1986 musical. Before, it was written by the guys who wrote the music for Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. And then one of them has gone on to still, he writes songs for Disney today. But before they became big, they wrote this movie for this small, small theater company in New York called Little Shop of Horrors. And it's it's about a plant that eats people. I loved this movie when I was 10. It was one of my favorite movies. I remember listening to the soundtrack all the time. Uh, Sabine had never seen it. My friend Sabine had never seen it. So I said, let's watch Let's watch Little Shop of Horrors. And watching it as an adult, watching it 30 years later, the first thing that pops in your head, these special effects are top notch. I mean, the, the, the plant, Audrey 2, the, the, it's a giant puppet. Directed by Frank Oz, master puppeteer. First thing that strikes you is the practical effects. The music's great. I guess it's a musical, so that should be the first. I love the music I've been listening to. The soundtrack ever since uh, the past couple days since I rewatched it. So if you haven't, so this a lot of you guys are like, "Hey, I already saw this movie when I was ten. Yeah, it was pretty good, but you know, I'm looking for something new." Okay, if you haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors, you want to watch it. If you have seen it, so Sabine, like I said, Sabine had never seen it. I had never seen the director's cut. I had a copy of it. She comes over and I was like, "Hey, do you want to watch Little Shop of Horrors?" So I put it in. It's not the same movie. (laughs) It's not the same movie. It's not the same movie at all. All the songs, every single song is there. It's the exact same movie up until the last 20 minutes, which tends to be the most important part of a movie. This is the version that people were booing when they did test screenings of it. And the film company, I think it was, what was it, New Line or Geffen or something like that? They weren't going to release it. But now, because it's such a classic, they did release it. So if you haven't seen, if you've already seen Little Shop of Horrors 10, 15, 20 years ago, do yourself a favor and watch the director's cut. It becomes a horror movie in those last 20 minutes. It is not the same movie at all. I remember turning to Sabine and I go, I have no idea what's going to happen next. I watched this movie my entire childhood. I know all the songs by heart. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes. It's great. So that's the Dead Rabbit Recommends, whether you've seen it or whether you're new to the world of Audrey 2, Mushnick's Flower Shop, Skid Row, all of that stuff. Maybe you're not, maybe you're on Skid Row right now. In the subway. My neighbors must be furious at me now because I just keep going, feed me. Feed me. I have, it sounds like a horse when I do it. Feed me, see more. Feed me all night long. That's right, boy. You can do it. Yeah. I'm waiting to get... I'm waiting for my neighbors to all get... Re- Feed Massimo! I'm waiting... Definitely waiting at this point for all the neighbors to file a joint... A class action restraining order against me. Oh, not long! Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. And actually, it's a, really a segue to this. Ryan's just flying the carpenter copter in circles. He's like... 
Dude, quit yelling in my ear. Fade, messy mo. Got a little plant. Got a little plant. A little plant in my pocket. At least you hope it's a plant. Dop, dop, dop. Okay, I'll try to restrain from making more noise. <laughs> it's not even singing. I'm just like loudly and rhythmically stating a line. It's like the lowest level of singing. I'll try to refrain from making more Little Shop of Horror noises. I'll try to learn how to pronounce the title as well, but watch it. But it's actually a good segue for our next story. Now, now Ryan, go ahead and bring that carpenter copter nice and low. We're going to land in a field of green splendor. I can't say that word either. Green splendor. Green? Don't you love it? Theater of the mind. You spend so much time trying to figure out what word I'm pronouncing. We land in a green, pretty place. Helicopters landing there. We see grass as far as the eye can see if we're looking that way. If we turn around, we see more grass, but we see like a babbling brook and some tulips scattered about, just kind of swaying in the wind, little happy flowers. We look off to a distant mountain. We see it covered in everything from mighty redwoods to little moss, to little moss on the ground. We have really good vision. We can see all of that at a distance. We see the glimmer of the dew on the moss. It's a place of pure beauty, right? We have a tendency, whether or not you're like a high-flying yuppie, is that even a term anymore? (laughs) Whether or not you're a high-flying business person, or you're just working at a bookstore three days a week. Everyone loves to spend some time in the wilderness. At the very least, spend some time outside. You want to be in green spaces. Maybe not all the time. Maybe you're scared of the forest like I am. Or flower shops, because there may be man-eating plants there. But... It does help rejuvenate the human being. It really does. I got this suggestion, and, and it's hard to say. It's not really a suggestion. I got this theory from a longtime listener of the show, Smashers25. So we're going to wave high. We see Smashers25. We see your boyfriend, John from Scar Group. Both of them have done artwork for the show. So we're going to wave to them. They're frolicking in a meadow. They're not paying attention to us. They'll listen to this episode later. Eventually, they'll realize we are waving the whole time. Plants lead the way for life. If you have an island with no plants, you have no life. You might have little microbes floating around in some tidal pool, but even then, they're eating algae and stuff. Life goes. The march of biology goes where plants go. You can drop a bunch of animals on an island without a single blade of grass. There's a couple carnivores on there. They're going to have a real good couple days, right? But they're eventually going to decimate the food source, and then cannibalism erupts, and then eventually it is a dead island. But once you have vegetation on an island, then you can have life continue. We don't exist without plants, but plants can exist without us. It's not as easy. Because animal life, from insects to us, help the plants survive. So how do we get into that cycle? How do we get into that cycle of evolutionary process? So let's put on our conspiracy caps right now. Everything we're going to talk about, you may go, oh great, is he talking about evolution again? Conspiracy cap on, conspiracy cap on. I can say all sorts of crazy stuff. Let's put on our conspiracy caps here. This is the theory put forth by Smashers25. I may be butchering it. I may be butchering it a bit, but in a nutshell. Get it? Oh, pun, pun, get it? A vegetable pun? Wait, or nut pun? Whatever. It's a pun involving a plant. You get it? I didn't even get it. (laughs) It was a mistake when I said it. I mean, it was a happy accident. So, in a nutshell, 
huh? I'm still nudging you. I'm still nudging you. You're like, I get it. I get it, bro. Okay, good. Just making sure. Plants dreamed us up. Plants created all animals as tulpas. Again, outside of little bacteria floating around in some tidal pool after a comet crashed into Earth, plants are the oldest life form on the planet. You have to have it first. You have a little algae floating around in a little tidal pool 500 million years ago. And it's getting by. It can reproduce. It's getting some of that delicious sunlight. Oh, yeah, it feels so good. And let me flip over. Oh, yeah, my back. Uh, this goes on for, you know, an uncomfortable amount of time. 100 years. Everyone's like, why does that algae keep flipping over? You have these plants sitting out there. And they go, I, I, my basic needs are met. But if I really, really, really want to survive, I need a couple things. I need really good soil, full of nutrients, and I need some way to reproduce. Now, before little pear trees like shaking stuff, shaking it around, trying to do that algae dance, pears would be falling out of it. You have flowers just sitting in a field. And the wind will blow their pollen, but it will only go so far. So, a tulip, Dreams of a bumblebee. Dreams of a creature that can actually carry its pollen miles away. Dreams of birds that are specifically evolutionarily designed to feed off only one kind of flower. We look at it and go, that's kind of weird. Why does this hummingbird have such a weird face? Making fun of him, making fun of the hummingbird. We hope some woodpeckers show him what's what later on. It's very odd, because there's all these other flowers. There's all this other fruit. Why is a hummingbird designed to only drink out of this one particular flower? Why do we look at all of these, all creatures, really? It's not just a couple of them. It's not just a couple weird, (laughs) weird hummingbirds. All these creatures are designed to fit some sort of need. Now, a scientist, without its conspiracy cap on, would start saying a bunch of boring stuff, right? But we got our conspiracy caps on. The idea is this, is that... Plant life existed alone on this planet for millions of years. We are nothing but dreams of plants. We are all designed to help plants survive. Either through spreading their pollen or by feeding them. I.e. dying and becoming fertilizer. We all serve plant kind. Plants had hundreds of millions of years to do this reality who we are is simply a thought form of plant life and because plant life is everywhere because the biggest life forms we've ever found there's two of them one in washington and one in oregon they're both fungus that goes on for miles first the plants wanted to create animals that would help them spread their seeds as far as possible farther than the wind ever could so they create insects and birds then they want to create animals that help fertilize the soil help keep it healthy we get mammals we get land animals coming i don't know what fish i don't know what fish have anything to do with this they're just a fluke they're a bad acid trip the mushrooms are eating each other they're like uh, uh something's in the water bro something's in the water but anyways, and then a bunch of fish show up. It's not a perfect theory, okay? It's not a perfect theory, but conspiracy caps on. Smashers 25 had added this as well, where she said she believes that the plants created life to assist in plant domination. 
But the reason why we have carnivores, the reason why we have these predators, because a carnivore doesn't really help a plant. You can have an herbivore, even though it eats the plant, it actually helps weed out. Ah, get it? Get it? Get it? <laughs> I didn't plan that one either. I'm just still uh, nudging you in the ribcage. You have a very sore ribcage this episode. It helped weed out the weak plants, and it would poop out seeds again and create fertilizer. It, a herbivore, in the end, helps plant kind as whole. So why did wolves show up? Why did killer gorillas show up? <laughs> Suppose just regular gorillas, really nice gorillas. Those non-crazy monkeys from Thailand. Why did you have all these other things show up? She said, the carnivores are actually tulpas created by the fear of the herbivores. Just like the plants created them, they were willed into existence. And in this world, they fear the darkness. They fear the death. They fear what's around the corner. And eventually, hundreds of millions of years of fear created the wolf with sharp fangs, the eagle with talons meant to rip and rend. All of this stuff, all of these things that are nightmarish, are literal nightmares. They are bred out of fear. She said, even if there wasn't a threat, you would still think about a threat. That constant fear over a long enough time span, created the wolves. This this really has a big thing of metaphysics, obviously. It's that we're able to apply rules of evolution and physics and observation to basically a dream. Plants created herbivores. Herbivores' fears created carnivores. And we think that we can look through a microscope and see all these things, but we're really just inhabitants of a plant's dream. They wished us up and they can wish us out of existence. We are just things to sustain them. But this is where I'm going to deviate from Smashers 25's theory. I don't think that the herbivore, if this theory is true, again, conspiracy cap fully on, the herbivores didn't create the carnivores. It's all plants. We've talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Certain things need to be met to really have a fulfilling life. So why would that stop at humans? Because humans are just animals, right? Food and shelter are the basic levels of this need pyramid. Plants got that, right? Shelter, they really need that. I mean, if there's a big windstorm, they're not going to, you know, have. A, they're not going to have a lot of fun. Hopefully, their roots work pretty well. But the food, it's just sunlight and water. And they can be adapted to whatever environment they're in—the desert or. Not desert. I think that's kind of the only two choices. Not in the cold, not in like Antarctica. Then we look at things like procreation. Again, they can do that by themselves, but they dream up birds and insects. They dream up creatures that are specifically designed to help them pollinate. Take a little something, something on the side, take it home, make some beehive, have a little bunch of baby bees. But at the end of the day, we are dreaming up the bees to pollinate us. But to keep pollinating us, they also have to reproduce as well. Another level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is community. And you can't have a community of plants without really, really good soil. And this is where you would have the bigger herbivores walking around. They dream up oxen and cow and antelope. So again, not only so they can eat the plants and then poop out the seeds 100 miles away, but when you have these giant beasts dying, and just even from their poop, you're creating fertilizer for plants to grow. All of the herbivores, they are dreamt up 
only to serve the plants at the end. But another level of the hierarchy of needs is safety. If you had herbivores, if you had nothing but herbivores, they're dumb. They're, they're probably the dumbest of all animals. So they would eat every last plant on the planet. You need protection. Sometimes you can wish for someone to poop on you, right? You go, you know what? I tried that once or twice. Let someone poop on me. But if they keep showing up and pooping on you, and even worse, eating you afterwards or before, doesn't matter. They're both disgusting. You need protection. So they dreamt up the carnivores to keep the herbivores in line. Plus, it also probably gives plants a little bit of entertainment. I mean, if you were an oak tree and you're sitting there for 100 years, things would kind of get boring. And you're like, oh, man, I heard heard that those tulips over there thought of a new thing. They call it a wolf. Let's see what it's like. And he sees these deer. He's like, oh, yeah, those deers are always pooping on me. I mean, it's cool and all, but it gets a little gross. And then he sees this, this creature appear just magically. It was the very first wolf. He's he's like, oh, dude, this is going to be totally awesome. He sees the cornfield over there. He's like, dude, can you pop yourself real quick? Oak tree's eating this popcorn. This is is getting ridiculous. This is getting more ridiculous now. He's watching the wolf eat these deer. Give him a little bit of entertainment. Also give him protection. You have this list of needs. And everything's fit. Really, except for the top one. And that's where humans come into this whole thing. This is how plants dreamt up humans. You have all these needs met, but a bumblebee can't admire the beauty of a flower. An antelope looks for the most delicious plant, but doesn't ever call it back in the morning. Humans love plants. We sing to them. We lovingly water them. We have them in our houses so we can admire their beauty. We'll have them outside of our houses so other people can go, Look at those beautiful roses. We give them to each other as signs of affection. We'll throw on a backpack, drive 50 miles, and spend a week surrounded by lush greenery. Humans love plants. And that was the one thing that plant life was missing in this world. Was someone to say goodnight to it when the lights went out. For people to smile at it when they see it on the windowsill, to cultivate it in mass numbers. After natural disasters, who replants the forests? Humans. We are all but a dream, dreamt up by a dreamer whose mind we can never truly ever comprehend. Something older, something far more advanced than what we call the human psyche. It's interconnected across the globe, and we are simply individuals living out our lives. All of our problems, big and small, just dreams had by other dreams. You can have plants without animals, but you cannot have animals without plants. If all other living things disappeared on this planet today, plants would get by. They'd get by. They'd still be able to pollinate. They'd still be able to wiggle around in the dirt, suck up some extra nutrients. They'd get by just okay. All of these dreams that they dreamt up to help them survive 
made life easier, allowed them to expand farther, but they'd be fine. The one thing they would miss the most, though, would be the humans. Because the humans weren't created so much to help them survive, but to help them thrive. To help them appreciate how beautiful they were, how elegant they looked. It would be a very lonely planet if there were no animals. And in the moments when you're lonely, have you ever daydreamed? Have you ever imagined? Created new worlds in your head? Fictional universes? Alternate takes on your real life? Imagine if you did that for hundreds of millions of years. It would be brought into reality just by sheer force of will. We are but the dreams of the dreamer. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.